In episode 1.8 of Unshuffled, we discuss a recently released album, Scorpio, by our old favourites, the Atomic Bitchwax. Buy it and listen to it, then listen to this podcast. And now, to begin proceedings, here's Seven Planets. Hypothetical. The year is 2022. The pandemic has subsided. We don't hear about it much in the news anymore. Finally, at last, live music has started again. And the great zombie mink apocalypse of 2023 to 2035 is still in its very early stages. We're not too worried about that yet. We're in Europe. You and I somehow have managed to convince our families we're all, we're all meeting in some European city, some cool, rock-friendly European city. Let's call it Berlin. I don't know, to pick one. Munich, you know, one of those. We're there for a night and we say, let's go see a band. Yeah, yeah, we can do it now. There's two bands playing that night. One playing at a sort of large 3,000-person kind of theatre or hall is Gojira. The other, playing at a much smaller sort of 150-person bar, is the Atomic Bitchwax. Who are we going to see? Atomic Bitchwax. I'm not even going to hesitate. No. I don't, it's not even close for me. Then, so then the next question is, what if we're there for 10 nights and for some freak reason both bands are playing for those 10 nights and we have to go and see one or one of them each night? How many times are we going to see the bitch wax? How many times? We've got to see Gojira at least once, right? Right, right, yes. Just the once? Well, I mean, no, 10 nights. I'll give Gojira. Yeah, no, I'll see Gojira again. But yeah, 8-2? All right, see there. I, like Atomic Bitch Wax, I bet if, if you've got a stretch with, of, of, of 10 nights with them, you're getting a different show every night. Yeah. And you're probably, by the, by the eighth or ninth time, at the end of the show, you're having a nice cold beverage with the band members and, uh, you know, having a chat. You know, it'd be much more informal and much friendlier, right. I would have thought. Right. Plus, you're going to make better friends there, I would have thought. Yeah, yeah, no, I You're going to meet more interesting people. Yep, doing bitch wax. Yep, good. I'm glad we agree. Do, doing the bitch wax. <laughs> All right. Let's hope it happens. Yeah. Well, so, can I mean... Can, can we jump into the to what you linked there? The, what was it? The um, was it the bus invaders? No, it was tour tips. Yeah. <laughs> where that? No, it was the bus invaders, and they were talking about how like the, the, nobody's wearing a mask, and so I was as I'm watching it, I'm like, well, I wonder how, you know, how long ago this was. Hmm. And then they talk about how they have the the wet wipes for the COVID or for the Corona. They called it the Corona, and yeah. I was like, oh, this wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah they're still out there braving the, the corona um i don't know what, how much touring they've been doing i know it's played havoc with their schedule they were supposed to have toured europe on the back of the album release in mid 2020 
and they ended up having to, to delay the album release and cancel that European tour. They were then going to go to Japan and Australia in sort of September, October, I think, and, and you know keep touring after that. But none of that was able to happen, unfortunately, for the band and their fans around the world. But yeah, if we ever get a chance, I can't wait to see this band live. If we ever get the chance, yeah, no, I will. I will travel. I, I mean, I will make. I will go out of my way to make sure that this is in my itinerary. Yep, agreed. I feel like we are among the world's leading experts on this band. If you ranked the top one hundred experts on the Atomic Bitchwax in the world, if you got them all into one room and ranked them from most expert to the hundredth most expert. Firstly, I think we'd be in the room. How high up the ranking is the question. I reckon we'll be in the top sort of 50 or 60. Mm. I'm going higher. Yeah? Yeah. Maybe I'm, higher. I'm, I'm pushing single digits. Really? <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay. Well, if you take out the band members, immediate family, past band members... Yeah. So we are unshuffled. Thanks for tuning in. And we will today be discussing the latest uh, Atomic Bitchwax album, which is called Scorpio. It was released in 2020. We are trying to bring back the album. So we pick a band that we know we should have listened to, but we haven't yet. We start with their first album. We listen to it for a good couple of weeks. We get on this podcast and discuss the hell out of it. And then we move on to their second album and their third album and so on. This is the first band for which we have got through their entire catalogue, finished, and then they released a new album. So we've now had to circle back. And just to, you know, for completionists out there, we are now reviewing their latest album, which was released in the second half of 2020. Uh, and we'll discuss that release date and, and the details of that in a moment. But... Um, yeah, how did you feel? Uh, having spent so much time with Gojira, how did you feel about now circling back to our old friends, the Atomic Bitchwax? So I was ready to, I remember I was, I was ready to go. But at the same time, as I started to put it in, I, I wasn't entirely sure. But the minute, <laughs> we'll get into this when we talk the track by track, but it, it, the whole thing just felt familiar. It didn't hurt that I had heard that first song before, uh, but the whole thing, the whole thing, definitely, it just it felt familiar. It took me, it took me straight back to to Vermont. It took me. I was, I, I can remember just I was dry. I would be driving to the dump, and and I would just have I would just have bitchwax playing out whatever truck we had rented, and uh, and it just yeah it took me straight back there. Yeah, yeah, it did feel very familiar very quickly. Uh, to me, it felt like we've just spent five months reading, analysing, picking apart the entire catalogue of Cormac McCarthy's novels, and now we've switched to a Batman comic. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's okay. Like, I don't want that to sound like a criticism. Mm -mm. You can't spend your whole life reading Cormac mm -mm. McCarthy novels as good as they are, and I don't think you can spend your whole life only listening to bands like Gojira. You need... Light and shade, and the Atomic Bitchwax certainly provide provided a really nice balance against that rewarding, but at times uh, intense and, and difficult journey we had with Gojira. 
yeah no i, I this album it, it really it felt like it it felt like it just so cleanly even though the the lineups changed that it's so cleanly picked up where force field left off I, I gotta say that the reviews I've read of this album have been disappointing. Not in that they've been critical, but they've just showed a lack of understanding of their back catalogue, a lack of understanding of the transition that this been this band has been through throughout their career, where they've come from. There were some reviews I've read that didn't even know Hope You Die was on an earlier album. Some have say, "Oh, isn't it great to hear some instrumentals?" Not with no recognition that so many of the previous albums featured instrumentals. I think this would become the definitive review of Scorpio by the Atomic Bitchwax. All right, well, perhaps you can talk a little bit about the nitty-gritty of the release. Give us the, the details of the date and where, you know, where it was recorded, label, all that sort of stuff. And then, we, yeah, let's talk about the production and the uh, change in lineup between the previous album and this one after that. So let's hear it. So... It was supposed to be May 29th, and we have recorded evidence of us around May 29th waiting to hear when this is getting moved back. Um, so then it got pushed back to August 28th. And August 28th of 2020, as you mentioned, is when it was finally released. That's, what, three years since Force Field. The produced, it seems to be, for the most part, Atomic Bitchwax with Steven Dacutis, I'm going to say that, at Sound Spa and edison it seems to be his studio but i'm not I, I don't have anything i just if i you linked to the to the studio site and and steven there's all over it so i'm wondering if that's his uh yeah and it looks then, like it. so then the, the lineup we've got um chris kosnick he, he's our mainstay on bass and vocals our bob pantella is joining us again on drums and Garrett Sweeney on guitars and vocals, and uh, you may recognize him from uh, Monster Magnet. Well, you may recognize all of them from Monster Magnet. You may. Uh, although, news to me, but Chris Kosnick, I saw in an interview I was looking at uh, in the lead-up to this podcast, has now left Monster Magnet. Uh, he uh, left, I think, in the second half. Sometime during 2020, he handed in his notice to... To Mr. Weindorf, and um, he's no longer a member. I don't know if they've found a replacement for him yet. Um, but yes, these three did do know each other well, have toured, probably played more Monster Magnet gigs than Atomic Bitchwax gigs in recent years. But um, Garrett Sweeney was also, you know, they were having some trouble before Finn Ryan's official departure that he was going through some personal difficulties apparently, and Sweeney was already filling in at their live gigs for a year or two before this album was released. So he's very much a part of the band, I think. It wasn't just, he didn't just jump on for the album, but he was already a very tightly integrated member of the band. I think it, I think it shows on this album. He, he feels right, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, as lineups go, I mean, this... Well, I mean, we'll talk more about Sweeney's playing style and how he fits with the rest of the band, perhaps as we go through the track by track. But I do like this lineup. I think, and and there seems to be some real chemistry between these three members, as you can see in in the links I've sent to you, and and I'll put them on on the show notes. They're on our website, listener. If you're ever wondering where those are, uh, unshuffledpod.com has all the show notes and links that we talk about throughout. So. 
there's a couple of five-minute clips of them touring, one with them giving tour tips, which are kind of funny, especially if you've ever been in a band, as you have, Scott, uh, and another one with them showing what they drive around in from gig to gig and, and talking about unloading their own equipment and, you know, the coffee they drink as they're driving. And they, they just seem like good friends as well as uh, a really tight band. I think they've become, as, as well as being one of my favourite musically bands, they just they just seem like really nice guys, like very humble mm. um, and, um, yeah, really sort of friendly. There's, there's no animosity. You get little hints. You hear... Chris Kosnick talking about his time with Monster Magnet and you sort of get the feeling that he was sort of, Windorf was sort of a little bit, what's the word, uh, overbearing at times, as you can imagine he would be. But there's nothing but thankfulness really from Chris Kosnick for his time in Monster Magnet. And he also talks a lot, and I've heard him in two separate interviews talking about how much he learned from his seven years standing on stage behind Dave Windorf and playing Monster Magnet songs, he learned a lot about songwriting and and the craft of making accessible, fun, but still heavy music. There is that moment in Bus Invaders where um, he introduces the driver as the camera's coming around the corner. And and, and before the, the camera shows, it's, it's Garrett Sweeney. I was like, whoa, they got a driver? It just <laughs> felt, it felt kind of excessive. And then it was Garrett Sweeney who was like, all right, got it. Right. Because mm. they, yeah. they do their own merch. Yeah. <laughs> Again, it's another reason to go and see them. The fact that they're just there selling their records at the end, they're driving their own truck to the, to and from the gig. Um, they're sleeping on a blow-up mattress in the, <laughs> in the hotel room at the end of the night. I wonder if they have to draw straws to see who gets the blow-up. <laughs> Whoever makes the most mistakes during the gig or something. But, yeah, very likeable band, and, and they feel like three – very close, very close friends, and I think that it shines through on the album. I think the one who doesn't drive is the one that has to uh, sleep on the blow-up mattress. <laughs> well, but that, they said they never let Cosnick drive. They, they never let Cosnick drive, so you get the blow-up mattress. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think he'd mind too much just hearing him talk. Uh, before we get into track by track, we should talk cover artwork. I've, I don't have any details about who did this sort of etching or drawing of the scorpion woman with the psychedelic swirl behind her. So it's half scorpion, half woman. They have a woman on most of their album covers. I think the octopus was the exception to that, although maybe it was a, a woman octopus. I'm not sure. I like it. I do really like this album cover. I like sort of that stereoscopic kind of that 3D effect. Like, yep. like if, you put on, if you put on the right glasses, jaws will jump out at you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the image too. I must say the CD itself is very, and I've spoken about this in the past, I don't think labels really care the, much these days about the CDs. No one's buying them anyway. Kosnick himself doesn't buy CDs, he said, in, again, in one of those interviews. But um, I've got the CD and, yeah, it's just a sort of cardboard fold-out thing with no lyrics and not, mm. not a lot of detail, a couple of band pictures and, and the scorpion woman on the front. What's the like the, the actual disc itself? Is it just uh, the disc is looks like I'll hold it up for you, and this is going to be great for our listeners. But it's a, like an eye, the like an, eye. You know, an, an iris, yeah, yeah, which is kind of cool. All right. If that was on vinyl, it'd be really cool. Yeah, I bet yeah. the vinyl's got to be clear. They they're all about the the clear or the um, yeah. 
sort of the, the colored vinyls. But I've got the CD and that'll be going into the car when I get back to where my car is. Okay, so let's get into the track by track. I'll kick us off with the first track, which is Hope You Die. Now, as longtime fans know, I must say not everyone that's written reviews of this CD seems to know, this song was on their very first album. And in fact, Chris, this was the very first song with lyrics that Chris Kosnick ever wrote for the Atomic Bitchwax. I wasn't sure initially how I felt about it. I wasn't sure of the message they were trying to send, whether it was a nod to their old fans, a sort of welcome to the band for the new guitarist, a sign that, hey, look, we sound better now. Look, our production's so much better. Don't we sound great compared to how we sound on the first album? There are some differences between this version and the original version. So the original one had Ed Mundell on guitar and he, as we both know and liked, was a big fan of the space laser sound. And that, so there's, a, there's no space lasers on this one for starters. The baseball's effect on the bass guitar is here, but it's less in your face, less obvious. Perhaps the biggest difference between this and the originally recorded version is that now we have two vocalists, Chris Kosnick and the, the new guitarist, Garrett Sweeney, alternating lines throughout the verses now we know they do that live or they have been doing that live for some time now but this is the first time it's been recorded it's cleaner sound than the original there's no mellow trippy bit the original had a sort of breakdown trippy bit in the middle and the solos are a bit different but essentially it's the same song chris kosnick gave a reason for re-recording and he said that a lot of after gigs a lot of fans would come up to them and say what album is this on i want to buy it and they'd have to say, well, you can't buy it because at that point it hadn't been re-released and, you know, there was just no way to get it. It's not on any streaming services. So they, he said that now when a fan asks after a gig, which album's it on, he'll be able to say, the latest one, do you want to buy it? So I guess it's a way of selling new records to newish fans. Uh, I think it's a little bit more than that, though. I think it's all of those things that I mentioned. I think it is a nod to old fans that, hey, we're still the same band that you loved 20 years ago. Also, a welcome to the band and a, and a showcasing of their new sound. I don't know what you think about all that. I, uh, I didn't know. I, I, didn't, I hadn't read that, the reason why they included it. And that does make sense to me because I, I do remember how when we started this venture, how hard it was to find the first two albums. Um, mm. This song seems to be from, I mean, we, we've never seen them live, but from anything I've seen on their set list, this song is this song is just this is a constant. This song is a staple, right? Mm -hmm. And it has been, and it's had from from what like if you, from the version that we heard on the first album to the version that we've seen on YouTube with Finn Ryan, it's taken all these different um, iterations, and, mm -hmm. and it, it's almost it feels as if this song sort of taken on a life of its own. It does sound like a different song, and and in fact, it didn't. When I first heard this. And I first put this on, I was out, I was out grilling something and, and I was listening to it and uh, I was like, man, this sounds, this is, this is, this just sounds so familiar, but it didn't occur to me that I actually knew this song. Right. And then when I went back and listened it was, and I went back and I was like, oh, of course I know the song, but it does sound, I mean, the, the first album, it's, it's a little bit more flat. That's probably because of the recording. But I mean, 
two thirds of the band is it's a new band. And I think that that does, I mean, I think that does come through on the song. I think that uh, Bob Pantel has been playing this song long enough now that he's made it his own. And, mm. and Garrett Sweeney definitely has a different feel on the guitar. The solos are different. Mm. So I really like it. With that said, I do miss the space lasers. Yeah, the space lasers were always a highlight when they pulled those out. We haven't heard much of those in recent times. Um, but yeah, I like it too. And I, I've, I think I read in one interview they were sort of critical of the message they were sending about, you know, they haven't evolved or anything. But as I've always said, they can do what they want. It's their own song. And I have no problem with the message, with the sort of nod to the, the old fans, the, the fact that it's the 20-year anniversary of that first album. Yeah, it, just to sort of give their newer fans a chance to have a copy of this song somewhere for whenever they're going to see them live again, which hopefully will be soon. That makes sense. I wonder when you go to see them, I mean, I wonder what vinyl they have, like mm. how, how far back they have vinyl that you can buy. And I'm, mm. I'm imagining it's probably hard to buy the first and second album from them. Yeah, well, they did. TP did release, re-release that first one, mm-hmm. um, and but that yeah, was it's... notoriously hard to get for a long time before that. Uh, you've got a copy of that yourself, don't you? That first. Right. Album. I feel like that re-release happened around the time that we started doing this podcast. But yeah, I, it's, it has been notoriously hard to get that those first few albums. This is a chance for fans. You know, there are all sorts of label problems. Label, I think two of the labels they were on sort of self-destructed at, d- at different times. They weren't overly great at managing their own catalogue and keeping track of who owned the rights and all that sort of stuff. So it's not, not only is it not available on albums and CDs and things, but they don't actually own the rights to these to stream them through Spotify or whatever, which must be a real pain for the band. But having re-recorded it, now it's out there. Yeah, and it's theirs. All right, so that leads us into Energy, track two. Um, So Energy then is our first brand new song for the album. So the one thing that I noticed, and I need to go back, because I don't remember talking about this or noticing this quite so much before but i feel like this and it, it it struck me in this song there's a rhythm guitar there's a layer of rhythm guitar underneath right so now this notorious power trio has kind of taken on a fourth sound that i don't remember being there like it, and they're not hiding it i mean it's, it's we're still getting the rhythm guitar underneath the guitar solos and i don't know why that that it's not even a complaint but it was something that I just, I noticed listening to this track that I, I doubt this is the first time they've done it. I, I'm imagining if I was to go back and listen more closely to Force Field, I would hear elements of it there. But anyway, so I noticed that here. Yeah, I, uh, just on that, um, I made a note of that too. I Like you, perhaps I'd done it before, I hadn't noticed it either. It is an interesting decision that every three piece has to make though, right? You have to either record over your own, sound on the rhythm and then you're going to have trouble replicating that live or you're going to have to sort of work around that in the live setting or you do what Pantera for example used to do which is you sort of turn up the bass during those solo sections and and sort of vary the bass line a little bit I always thought the solos were the weakest part of Pantera songs for that reason though not because Dimebag wasn't a great soloist but just because there seemed to be that sort of chasm underneath where the rhythm guitar would normally go. So it's a it's a purely a stylistic choice. I think, you know, just in terms of sound, I'd prefer to have a, a 
solo sitting on top of a rhythm guitar rather than just having it all drop away. So I don't have a problem with them doing it. I'm sure they can work around it live too. If, if nobody's been listening to our podcast, uh, you might have just gotten us into the news. Did, did, did you just criticize Dimebag solos? <laughs> no, I said he was a great soloist, but I criticized the lack of support that Pantera gave him during that time as having only one guitarist in the band. Uh, so anyway, going back to this one, I like I like the way that I, I like the way that the guitar it it sort of it does then eventually everything falls away, right? So that that rhythm guitar isn't dominating, and it falls away into that sort of kind of that little bass riff, um, and then it ends on that bouncy little bass number. The the song itself felt very very much like it could have been on Force Field, which I liked. That's that's not a criticism. That was uh, that was that was an appreciation. Yeah, I agree. In terms of tempo and, and the vibe of the song, it do, does have a force field feel to it. I mean, really, it could have been on just about any of their albums. Um, again, not a criticism. I thought the production on this was, this is the first time I really sort of compared the production to their previous album, and I think it's better produced. One of my criticisms of force field was it was a little thin, particularly compared to Gravitron. I think we're getting back into the real sort of crunchy, muscular production values that uh, we saw perhaps not quite up there with Gravitron, which they obviously put a bit of money into and went to a very fancy studio. But this, I think, is not far off that that level. Really nicely produced. Love the solo. So it's the first time I, you know, it's this extended, really melodic solo. So this was the first time that I thought, wow, the Sweeney guy's really good. Um, in fact, I'm already asking myself, is he their best guitarist yet? Which... You know, obviously, it's too early to answer that, but the fact that that popped into my head so early in the albums is saying something great about him, given who's come before him. And some nice little production touches throughout, some little guitar sort of swirly things here and there, some nice attention to detail in the way they put this together. And Chris Kosnick sounds great. His singing, as we've mentioned previously, has come so far since those early days. He's showing his range here. There's, there's clarity. He's, he's confident. The lyrics, again, typically opaque, have no idea. It's just a bunch of words that sound good in a rock song, which most <laughs> Bitchway songs seem to be. I'm sure there's some rhyme or reason to them, but whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. It just suits the music and, and a nice, um, nice song, I thought, to, to lead us into the first instrumental on the album. Now, Forcefield only had one instrumental, which was the least they had had on any of their full-length releases. We're back to three instrumentals, which I think is about the average for a Bitch Wax release. This is the first one. It's called Ninja. It's quite similar, really, to the one that was on the previous album, which was Fried, Died, and Land to the Side, which was that frenetic sort of... And we use that on a lot of their songs, but as always, Cosnick steps up his bass playing in the instrumental, so we really get to showcase the the big runs along the uh, Cosnick fretboard. Sweeney solos are scorching in this. Again, he's they're recorded over his rhythm, so we get that again, the Sweeney rhythm guitar and the Sweeney solo. This is about four minutes, I think, this song, and the song kind of restarts almost exactly halfway through. So it's almost like they play the song, they stop, and then they start again. Um, with some variations in the solos and, and here and there, some different notes. But Ninjas are supposed to be quiet. Uh, there's nothing quiet about the song. It's a very 
energetic in the vein of some of their faster instrumentals. I'm thinking, oh, what were some of those ones off, uh, like Supercomputer and those sort of faster ones mm. uh, from a few albums ago. Right. And would be great live. And, and as always, love hearing Cosmic in these. Warclaw. That's the one I was thinking of. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... The so the baseballs, I, I definitely hear them. I think I think I hear them. I hear something that mm. at least that sounds like them. Um, mm. But that sort of that that just that chugging kind of just sound is back. And and the, like the drums, even and this is the production value. But there's like a slap to the drums where you can just feel it just kind of reaching out, smacking you around while you're listening to it. It's it's just the sound, the way that even like Cosmic and and Sweeney will step back and give each other room to just kind of overlay their their riffs. The just the way the whole thing works is 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 great, and it is it is instrumental, and and it is it's one of those songs that it's just destined to be. It just wants to be played live. I think there was a review that said this song will encourage you to karate kick a tree. I don't <laughs> I don't know what that means, but that's great. All right. So, and that leads us into the title track, track four, which is Scorpio. Um, first off, I, I got to mention the, the video is it's that Jason and Argonaut, Jason and the Argonauts fighting skeletons. Great. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Anytime I see that clip is, is great. That clip to atomic bitch wax is, is amazing. Um, there's uh, just the, the, He's got his wah bass solo that comes in there at the same time that the guitar solo, right? So they're layering that. There's like this dueling solo action that's happening. This song marked is one of those that's up there for my favorite track on the album. I, I don't know what he's saying. I have no idea what he's saying, uh, but I like it. Um, I, I assume they're words, but it's more of a sound. He's just sort of stressing like this sound over that chorus. Um, even it just like in that chorus, just they, they, they couldn't even wait to get to the chorus. They're just going to go ahead and just start with the chorus and then mm -hmm. kind of move through with the whole thing. Um, I, I, this song is another one that I just, I, I wrote this song has to be amazing live. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this riff, I love this riff. This, um, this is the kind of riff that I would call a riff that doesn't quit. It's similar. It reminded me in a way of remember marching on the skulls of the dead from their second album. That sort of extended riff that just kind of keeps going and, and sort of swings back around on itself. I love this riff. Entombed had a couple of these when they moved into their death and roll phase in the late '90s. There were a couple of entombed songs that had this style of riff that just sort of you can't help but nod your head to. I agree with the lyrics. I did pick up a few here and there, just snippets. Like it starts with "I need a minute so I can get up in it." I mean. Just great fun lyrics. At some point he says, I know you'll be back like a panic attack. Um, and there's some other little snippets here and there that I've picked up that just make you smile. And, and again, suit, suit the fun nature of the song and the, and the film clip. And I agree, this, this has to be on their new live set, please, whenever we get to see them. I also just want to give a, a little nod to their shout out to Black Sabbath at the end of the song. Uh, the that last 20 seconds is a, I'm sure, a nod to, I think, it, uh, what Sabbath song is it? I think, I think it's Killing Yourself to Live, or one of those classic Sabbath, early, early Sabbath songs. 
that finishes in a similar way. So great song, loved it. And whenever we uh, get to see this song live, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. Mm. Now, the next song's called Easy Action. To me, this is where I really smiled because one of my criticisms of Force Field, the previous album, was it felt very similar after a while in terms of tempo. And I just was crying out for a tempo change somewhere in that album just to break it up and give us something to hang on to as a sort of something different, you know, a sort of turning point in the album kind of thing. We get that here with Easy Action. It's a mid-tempo driving rhythm, so a sort of stomping uh, bass drum but at a slower tempo. The film clip to this has a cool sort of 60s vibe, some sort of sort of go-go dancey type women with bob haircuts twirling around on a dance floor. There is a sort of retro vibe to the song. There's a shaker and there's a sort of grooviness throughout the song. A really good song. I love some of the lyrics. I'm on a heavy metal mission, 100 years in one condition. I don't think he states what that condition is. Uh, also, we get our first and perhaps only on this album, but he's done it a few times on previous albums, his, his own name check, uh, where he says, they're all atomic bitches. And uh, that always gets gets me smiling as well. Enjoyed the song. And, yeah, really appreciated the fact that it was a change in tempo and a, and a great song to boot. This, so I wanted to jump in with the lyrics there. The, the, my, the one that stuck out to me was concussion from the meteor destruction. I was like, yeah, yeah. that's great. Um, <laughs> I think, so I think this is my favorite track on the album. The opening bass riff, the, just the, the bass runs throughout. They come in through the chorus, the opening riff. I, I like the lyrics. I like, I like his, his nod to space. Right, we that's where we started with space, mm. this whole mm. meteor destruction thing. I really like this song, but that moves us into Crash, the next instrumental. And the one thing I wrote about this one to me, this one didn't feel as intentionally instrumental as, as Ninja. Ninja, Ninja felt like it was intended to be an instrumental. This, there were mm. several moments where I, I, I felt like, okay, here's where the lyrics should come in. Takeaway from this, there were some, some great solos. Uh, from both from both Kosnick and Sweeney, and there's a cool effect on his bass at one point. I guess this one kind of maybe just felt somewhat incomplete. Okay, yeah, I really like this instrumental. I didn't notice that to the same degree. I just love the the main riff and the again the space as you mentioned the no 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 and then the drum fill. So there's a nice build to this song, I thought. The bass effect you've mentioned, it's almost like a bass solo at one point, kind of, and some really nice bass runs. And and Pantella um, does some nice work as well. Just, again, I just feel like it's a very, I don't think this song would have come very, would have been too difficult for them to write. It felt like a very natural bitch wax song. Almost from the first few notes, you kind of know where this song's going to go, and that's okay. But, yeah, they're sounding really tight it'd be a fun song to play i take your point now that i think about it about the lack of lyrics maybe it could have done with some lyrics but i still enjoyed the main riff and and just hearing them the interplay between the band members enough to still think positively overall about the song in fact it may be my favorite instrumental on the album just for that fun kind of metallic riff uh, sort of dumb fun dumb metal riff i thought was was cool the next one, Supersonic, which starts with the words, aim high right through the eyes. I had a 
I had some good fun with the song. Nice driving rhythm. Again, it's probably not one that they thought too long and hard over. I think it's, you know, the songwriting's coming pretty easily to them. This is probably my least favourite on the album. It's the closest, I think, to a By The Numbers bitchwhack song on, on this album, I think, even though I still enjoyed it, and especially the extended solo. I think the problem I have with this song is that I'm really looking forward to the next song, which we'll discuss in a moment. But most times when I'm listening to this, I'm just impatient because I know my favourite song is coming next. Still enjoyed it, but eh, not, not my favourite off the album by any stretch. This song is... This has to be the setless closer. I just I felt like that with that the the extended solo, which which went. I mean, that solo went into Leonard Skinner, there, <laughs> right? I mean, that was like there was some straight up just arena rock lighters out on that on on on, on that extended solo, and mm. and then it comes back in. It does, I think, the verse and the chorus again. But there's a part, like, if they would just cut that out, like, they just end on that solo and then thank mm. good night and walk off the stage, <laughs> nobody's leaving unhappy. Yeah. Put this, put the guitar in front of the, in, in front of the uh, amp and give us, give them some feedback as you walk off. Go, go sell, go, go sell us some albums. <laughs> yeah. Head to the merch stand. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then that brings us into into you got it. I, I like this song. I did like this song. I like the hand clapping. Um, it definitely yeah. feels like it, it's definitely the single. And and right when 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 they wrote this, they had to know that. But I'm 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 eager to hear what you have to say. Okay. Well, I mean, just I mean, this song rocks, right? I mean, this is a, just a classic, dumb, fun, hard rock song. So this to me. Genre-wise, we've always debated when are they playing stoner rock, when are they leaning metal, when are they going retro. I think this is just a straight-ahead rock song. But I'd sit this comfortably alongside anything by ACDC, Kiss, any of those big rock bands who are just great at churning out crowd pleasers. This is right up there. This is a crowd pleaser song. Hand claps, a shaker. Again, it's straightforward, it's simple, it's predictable, but there's an art to writing a straightforward, simple and predictable song. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, but uh, not everyone can do it. I love the lyrics. It's, there's a real joy in this song. It's a joyous song, and the lyrics are about the joy of finding someone who you admire and connect with and, and want to hang out with, you know. I really like it. The film clip is interesting. It's a sort of anti-catcalling song. I'm okay with it, maybe a little bit clumsy but i like the sentiment of the film clip i just love the song and i'd love to see this live i, I really had fun with this this was this was fun what struck me about the the, the film clip was just if, if you go back and listen to some of our earlier conversations with regards to yeah. the album covers and and there were moments where there was some sort of discomfort into all right <laughs> right yeah. just kind of how the portrayal and representation and sophomoric i think you used that word a couple of times right and 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 so i think that this video definitely kind of pushes back on sort of that notion yeah well i mean with age comes wisdom right and you know cosmic's a family man he's got a wife and kids and you know your times change and attitudes change and i think i'm all for the sentiment expressed in the film clip next song betting man um now i must say just while i remember the CD I've got, I didn't mention it when we talked about the, the packaging, but this is listed as track two on my CD 
Oh. Uh, and energy is listed as track nine. I'm hoping that that might be, you know, like when they print stamps and they have a mistake on them, they become worth oh, yeah. that that tens happens. of thousands of dollars. Um, maybe that will happen with this pressing of the... Uh, I bet it'll be worth a million dollars. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Uh, it'll go alongside with my limited release, Tab 4, uh, the Meteor City release of that. They, they're going into the... Uh, the vault. Family. Yeah, the vault, you know. I'm, they'll be listed in my will one day. That's the, the retirement <laughs> <of> kids. <laughs> yeah. And they'll just be shaking their heads going, what the hell? What is a CD for starters? Something old people used to listen to. Gambling provides, I think, a rich source of material for rock songs, for country songs. You think of songs like The Ace of Spades, Kenny Rogers, The Gambler, some great gambling songs throughout music history. This is a good one, I think. Anyway, I like this as a track. I thought it might, might have worked just as well at the original. Maybe they intended to put it as track two at one point and changed it late in proceedings. I thought it would have worked well there as well. It's a good song. It's got those sort of stuttering verses, a stripped back chorus, and then the sort of chorus builds... So there's sort of two layers of the chorus, the start of the chorus, and then the guitar joins in for the second part of the chorus. And I really like the finish of this song. It's got a great sort of climax, a really good payoff uh, towards the end of the song where it all comes together and, and um, finishes strongly. And so a well-written song and enjoyed hearing some gambling terms and, and uh, thought it was a fun, a fun song, well worthwhile, well worth the listen. This, this song was a creeper for me in that... It wasn't until, so I've been listening to this album, I guess, for two weeks. It's only in the past couple days where when this song comes on, I find myself going, well, hang on a sec. I was not listening quite so closely to this one before. And so, um, the, yeah, this song has just started to, and that for me personally is, is, is the sign of a great album. When, when I go back and listen to it, and then all of a sudden it's like I'm, redis I'm still rediscovering parts of it later. And mm -hmm. so uh, th this song has just recently in the last couple of days really started to grow on me. And, and for, for all the reasons that you met, it's just it's, 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 it's a fun song. Um, I, I, again, the, the, there's the breakdown of it. There's the, the, the bass and the vocals, that breakdown of the bass and the vocals on top of the chorus. And it's just it's a fun song. And that brings us to our last track, instrumental, uh, Instant Death. Mm -hmm. And um, I like this song, uh, but, but the bass is buried in the mix on this one. Mm. And, I'm, and I'm curious to know what was the, the reasoning behind it. I found that interesting. It's just it's almost mm. as if, as if uh, Kosnick just went ahead and just kind of just took a step back on this. I mean, he's definitely playing and he's doing cool, like he's, he's laying it down and he's doing cosmic stuff. I just, the sound, it just, it just feels lower in the mix. Perhaps Kosnick decided to give the new member, Mr. Sweeney, a chance to experiment and have some fun. So there's a few interesting things they do with the guitar on this. They, for example, the solos switch from one ear to the other, like he's dueling with himself. There's some interesting guitar phasing effects in the middle of the song. Pantella's really busy throughout the whole song, especially at the start, that really sort of Tom-heavy start. It's sort of, he's got a, quite a metallic style at times, Pantella, and, and you really hear it on this song. So, yeah, maybe it was just Kosnick's decision to mix himself down and let Sweeney 
have a bit of fun as he used to do with uh, Ed Mundell back in the early days, right? Okay, I'm just going to not do much for this song, Ed, and you can fire up the space lasers. <laughs> um, my, my, I thought it was a good song. My, I did have one problem with this. I thought, oh, it's good that they're finishing with an instrumental. I remember they did that on their earlier earlier albums, and I went back and listened to their second album and thought, oh, yeah, that's right, Liquor Queen, what did that sound like? And on listening to that, after straight after listening to Instant Death, I realised how similar those two songs were. The riff in this is very similar to the bass riff in Liquor Queen. It's about the same length, the same tempo. I mean, look, if you're going to rip someone off, you, you know, at least rip yourself off. That's, I don't have a problem with that. But, yeah, it was just a little bit too close to Liquor Queen for me to be overly enthusiastic about this as anything new and exciting still served its purpose as a as a sort of uh, exciting and fast and kind of semi-metallic album closer but yeah nothing more for me so my favorite song was obviously you got it yours was the title track is that right no i think mine was easy action easy action that's right sorry yeah i was listening nice. uh yeah the the and I probably could have put Scorpio up there. There's several good songs on this album, and I'm sure whenever they do get to play live, there's a lot off this album that would work in a live setting. So it really is just take your pick, I think, in terms of what they're going to play off this album in their later, in their newer sets. I do. I just, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll go see them and, and prove me wrong, but I feel like Supersonic is one of those songs where you just walk out going, man, what? What album's that on? It's like, oh yeah, it's on the mm -hmm. latest one, right? Where it's all mm -hmm. it just takes on a whole new life live. So overall, I'm wondering where you think this ranks. Because I remember your favorite album was Gravitron. Yeah. I my yeah. favorite album was Tab Four, which <laughs> embarrassingly, in an interview that I listened to just today, Kosnick himself said it was terrible. So I don't know how I feel about my favorite album being the one that the driving force in the band hates it's yeah it's funny that that's brought up because while i was listening to this i found myself thinking man we've moved so like they tab four there was something was being experimented with and then they just they really kind of went through great lengths to undo that mm. well they were trying to sell some albums that's what they were experimenting with can we <laughs> can we sell some records uh, he cited Queens of the Stone Age as a big influence on this on that album. Um, they were basically trying to become somewhere near as popular as that band, but never mm. quite got there. And I don't think he looks at that. They tuned the, their guitars up. They listened to more poppy stuff in the lead up. They tried to write some pop rock songs. I think they did it very effectively, but the band members themselves don't seem to. Yeah, I don't know how to answer this question. Here's why. Gravichon has some great tracks on it, right? Mm. I love like coming in hot, mm. War Claw, Ice Age, Hey Baby. Down with the Swirl was good. Down with the Swirl. And, uh, like uh, the, uh, the first three or four songs, a great album. What a super yeah. album. I, this, I can definitely say that I like this one better than Force Field. Yes, I think, I think so. Very much. Um, Forcefield had, and listening back to our podcast of Forcefield, it still had some really good songs on it, but just as a 
complete package I thought it was a little bit lacking and the production wasn't quite there either. But I can't I, – I need more time before I can say which one I would put if, – if, if I would put this one above um, Gravitron. But I can't sit here and say definitively that I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. You know, so I, I just I, – but I can't say for sure that I would. Okay. I think it just sits a tier below Gravitron, and, and I still like Tab 4 even though Cosnick doesn't. Yeah, those two to me are on the top tier, and this – I think comfortably sits in below them. I know a lot of their fans still hold on to the, the first album as their best. I'm, I'm not quite there with them. I think I, I really like this new lineup. I, I think this has a lot of promise, this lineup. I think Sweeney is the perfect fit for this band. I, I get the feeling, given the troubles that Finn Ryan was having, which they've hinted at, I also think Finn Ryan fitted in well when they were doing that melod- more melodic stuff. He was a very melodic guitar player but then i feel once they made that decision to turn away from that that finn ryan perhaps was um trying to be perhaps a guitarist that he really wasn't even though he did it well and and we spoke very highly of him on those two albums before this one i think sweeney's a more natural fit for the band now that they've decided we're just going to be a hard rocking stoner band and forget about that poppy pop friendly sort of radio friendly stuff and uh yeah i'm really looking forward to the next album you know speaking hearing not speaking to but hearing chris kosnick interviewed he's very keen this is a labor of love for him part of the reason he's uh handed in his notice to mr weindorf was just to be able to devote the time and, and attention he needs to to his songwriting craft the Atomic Bitchwax is where his heart is musically, and I think we can expect many more tours, many more albums from this band, hopefully. They're not getting rich out of this. They're doing it for love, and I think it's going to continue. Long may it continue. All right, so I guess that brings us to Bear Brownlow. Yes, let's do it. Okay. You go first, because as always, no preparation. Okay, so Kosnick, uh, right, number three. Okay. Um, the three votes. C Cosmic. Yeah, three votes. C Cosmic. I and I, I've gotta get the this is one where I, I feel like Sweeney Pantella, I, I feel like everybody brought just absolutely brought their best to this. The drum sounds, Pantella Pantella's drumming on this is just is is so good. Uh mm-hmm. but I'm gonna have to go. Uh, Sweeney's getting my two votes. Just, just the guitar solos are phenomenal, mm. and even his what what he's doing with the backing vocals. So I'm going two for two for Sweeney, one for Pantella. Hmm. I can't bring myself to play the contrarian in any way. I, you've convinced me, and I completely agree. Kosnick, again, and we've said it on a the last couple of albums he's come so far as a singer and you know he's still he's always been a great place bass player i think his singing is a real highlight on this album and his songwriting of course he just writes a great rock song again and again he's done you know now dozens and dozens of them throughout his career and there'll be many more i'm sure he gets the three i love the fact that sweeney just stepped in stepped up to the plate and hit the very first pitch into the bleachers 
I don't even know what these words are that I'm saying. Is this baseball? Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of all over. But, uh, <laughs> he knocked it out of the park. He uh, he feels like he's always been in this band, and you know he belongs with these other two band members. And yeah, Pantella is a, a superb uh, support to the great stuff that's happening at the front of stage. Pantella's you know spot on, right in the pocket, and. Steps up and, and adds a little flair when he needs to, but generally he's just happy to sit underneath and, and do his thing without drawing too much attention to himself, which really is what you want from a drummer, unless you're Gojira, of course. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to the next album. Let's hope they get a chance to tour. Let's hope these vaccinations keep rolling out quickly and, and um, the world returns to some sort of normality in the second half of 2021 and we start to see, we start to read less and less about this pandemic and more and more about bands that are touring that uh, we might like to go and see and we'll, we'll do our best to track them down when that happens it was so great to to just sort of bring bitch wax back mm. right just for even even if it's it's just for a one-off right yeah because yep. our next meeting that's where we throw mm. down again yeah the next one <clears throat> this is where it gets interesting we now have to choose our next band so once mm. i turn the microphones off we'll sort of work out a time for our next recording and we'll sit down with our little lists and we'll work out who our next band's going to be. So let's leave that discussion for then, but I've already got some ideas and I know that you have too. So it'd be interesting to see where we go after this little palate cleanser, as I think you, you used the term recently. So this definitely served as a palate cleanser. I'm ready for, ready for anything now uh, and looking forward to that discussion in our next podcast. Absolutely. So this has been Unshuffled. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Uh, we'd love to hear from you if you've got any thoughts on this, either in 2021 or whenever it is that you're listening to it. You can find show notes and past episodes on our website, unshuffledpod.com. Our Twitter feed is at unshuffledpod. And we also have a Gmail account if you'd like to give us any feedback through email, which is unshuffledpod at gmail.com big thank yous to small stone and seven planets as always for the use of their fantastic track vanguard off the album explorer small stone a great label who knows maybe we'll circle back to small stone for our next band there's plenty on the label so make sure you check out that label and the band seven planets if you like that what you hear in those uh, few seconds at the opening and close been a pleasure as always scott thank you and thank you listener for tuning in Thank you, Matt. And uh, yes, thank you, listener. And uh, we will we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you. <laughs>